thanks for joining me for another episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast from Strong Towns. I'm your host, Rachel. Today's guests are Strong Towns members Charles and Whitney Coates, a husband and wife duo doing incredible work to increase housing opportunities in their home state of Texas. From two years in the Peace Corps in the Republic of Georgia, where they saw firsthand what it was like to live in a walkable, traditionally designed neighborhood, to fast forward to working for Habitat for Humanity today, where they help neighbors that wouldn't otherwise be able to access homeownership, Charles and Whitney are passionate about serving others and building strong towns. They've been actively bringing Strong Towns conversations and ideas into their work at Habitat for Humanity and educating their colleagues about this message of financial resilience built from the bottom up. They even started a podcast to discuss housing issues with fellow Texans. Don't worry, I'll get you the link at the end. The Coates are also involved in statewide efforts to reform housing policy. Charles serves on the board of a group called Texans for Housing, which is currently working to promote more flexible zoning laws, eliminate parking minimums, and take other steps that are going to enable more Texans to access and afford their own homes. In this conversation, Charles and Whitney share their insights on how to speak to people from different political persuasions and geographic backgrounds to find common ground on housing issues, making arguments for Strong Town's principles in a manner that can best be received by the leader or whoever they're appealing to. For Charles and Whitney, efforts to build stronger towns start with the simple act of loving your place. Observing where your neighbors struggle and then taking the small steps to make life better and more resilient for all. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation. So, Charles and Whitney, thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Bottom Up Revolution podcast. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting us. We're excited. Um, so could you start, um, and I'll, I'll ask each of you a little bit to tell me about yourself and your community where you live today. Um, Charles, we could start with you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, like you said, I'm Charles Coates. My wife, Whitney, and I, we live in Bryan, Texas, uh, in the Bryan College Station area. Uh, we work for Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity, which is kind of near the campus of Texas A&M. Whitney can fill in the gaps here, but we've been working at Habitat for going on six years now, doing um, kind of redevelopment work uh, and new construction as well. We just kind of came into this job in kind of a roundabout way. Whitney, you want to tell that story about how we started at Habitat? Sure, sure. Brian Clash Station is actually in my hometown but I didn't want to stay. I wanted to go abroad and do different things. So I studied national security at the George Bush school here at Texas A&M, which is where I met Charlie. And we finished school uh, during the great recession, didn't get the jobs we wanted. So stayed around here, did some work here. And then eventually went to the Peace Corps to try to get international experience on our resume. And there Charlie got a position at a nonprofit law firm. So that's how we kind of got into nonprofit work. So when we came back, uh, Habitat was hiring and that's been six years ago now. Yeah. And we, we definitely love it. I mean, it's, it's, it's the kind of work that makes you excited to get out of bed each day. 
And, you know, we're able to help low income families who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford a decent home. And then also be able to advocate on their behalf, as well as the community for better housing policy at the, the local and state level. So that's kind of kind of how we came into this. And uh, yeah, we love it. Yeah. So it sounds like you are both people who really, you know, care about supporting others and service and community. How did you decide or end up doing um, your focus really on housing issues? You know, there, there are so many different things that we can do to, to help our communities thrive. And housing is such a core part of that. Why did you end up focusing on that for your work? Was it just kind of that job ended up coming about or um, what you know, drew you to that calling? It was a two-stage process, I would say. As, as Whitney mentioned, you know, we came back from the Peace Corps. I don't know how much she went into it a minute ago, but um, you know, we came back without a lot of job prospects, but an interest in the nonprofit area. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, not necessarily in housing, but I'd heard of Habitat for Humanity before, had no experience in housing, but a job opened up. And so I kind of got my foot in the door there. Then as we started working there, I was making the loans to the families because um, we actually do sell the homes to uh, low-income home buyers. But as we're doing this work, I started realizing, and Whitney and I started talking about it and reading and realizing, wait, there seem to be some fundamental issues that are causing housing in this town and in the state and across the country to be unaffordable. Why is it that so many cannot afford a decent place you know, in this town? What are the reasons behind it? And so we started reading things like Strong Towns, a variety of different um, publications, Strong Towns, I think, was pretty instrumental in looking at, okay, this is the way that development used to occur. This is the way that the, the mortgage industry used to work, all of that. So as we kind of went along, we, we just started realizing more and more that, well, there are factors at the local, state, and federal levels that are making housing much less affordable and attainable than uh, what it honestly should be. And so that that was kind of our transition from just you know, building the houses and selling them to focusing more on advocating for, honestly, solutions to these housing affordability issues rather than just throwing a Band-Aid on the problem, but actually trying to get to what's the cause and what can we do about it. Whitney, maybe you can answer this one just to build off that, you know, what are some of the causes that you've uncovered, um, maybe particular to your region or, you know, that are universal challenges for housing access? And what are you hoping to do like policy wise or, um, you know, with your work to address those things? One of the things that we've started to talk about locally is uh, zoning ordinances, so basically, who is allowed to share the, the higher quality of housing that we have here in town? Um, so just starting to learn that what we see around us isn't necessarily just what everybody wants to build. You've got a lot of rules and regulations about um, what can get built, where it can get built, what kind of quality it has to be. And then after all of that, still more rules about who can share in the, the good quality of housing that we have. So those are the issues that we're starting to talk about here locally. Yeah. And what Whitney's referring to here is, is about a year ago, we started following something going on in College Station um, 
that was a restricted occupancy overlay they were trying to do. And uh, just started following that and asking the questions of, you know, is a policy like this going to actually restrict the amount of housing that can be built and therefore you restrict supply and then prices are going to go up? Because we work for Habitat for Humanity, we have a kind of a different advocacy angle where we're taking more of the approach through our podcast and, and other media to just start asking the questions like, is this going to cause issues? You know, is this going to make housing more expensive in this town? We're not necessarily one that's going to just sit there and scream and shout, you know, at our policymakers, but we're trying to point out some of the issues there locally. And then at the state level, Whitney mentioned zoning, one of our big uh, focuses at the state level is, again, different aspects of zoning. So you've got an, an enabling legislation at the state level that then allows municipalities to restrict supply, basically. About a year ago, Whitney and I started uh, getting involved with a group called Texans for Housing, which is a statewide effort where we are proposing a few bills at the state level that we think could actually make housing more affordable and more attainable uh, at the state level. And then at the federal, you know, that's, that's for us, that's the trickiest part of this whole mix because at the end of the day, we have so little power over what the Fed does or, or you know, the, the loans that are being made at the federal level and backed by, you know, the federal government. You know, we're a small mortgage lender. There's not a whole lot that, that we can do. But there are things that we've advocated for in the past, like loosening certain regulations to make it easier for uh, essentially private lenders like us to be able to make these loans to the families that need it. At the federal level, that's to us one of the trickiest and, and a sense of helplessness as far as the direction of housing. But it's not impossible. It just it's a big issue, as you know. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get to more about Texans for Housing in a second, but I realize um, it might be helpful for listeners also to just hear from from both of you about what Habitat for Humanity does. Like this is a national group. At least I used to have a perception that it was like Habitat for Humanity builds houses, but it sounds like you all do a lot more than just build houses for, for a select few people who can access them. Tell us about the work of, of your branch of Habitat for Humanity and, and the organization generally. Obviously, we, we think it is the coolest nonprofit ever, um, which I think it is. They're definitely up there. Um, Habitat for Humanity is an international organization with thousands of affiliates is what we call them all over the U.S. and then even all over the world. Uh, so we're a part of that umbrella of Habitat International us and other affiliates, Habitat affiliates at the state level. There are about a hundred of them, I think, in Texas, maybe more. Um, and uh, we all more or less do the same thing in our own community. We not only build homes for low-income families, but we're also a developer, a builder, but we're also a mortgage lender and in a lot of instances, even a mortgage servicer. So for Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity, we do the entire process. Uh, we're based upon raising funds from the community. We're very community driven. And then we raise those funds. We build a home for a family that has come to us and said, hey, I can't get a mortgage through typical means. Uh, 
we'll work with them on their credit if that's what's necessary. But then we will we'll build it. We will sell it to the family and we'll have a typically a 30-year uh, mortgage on that home. And they do pay back uh, every cent that is, that is lent to them. The key difference between us and a typical builder or a mortgage lender or servicer is the interest component. We raise funds from the community largely in order to be able to afford to make mortgages to low-income families at 0% interest. So you can't get a better interest rate than that. And that honestly is the key to the affordability factor here. If that interest was a component of a low-income family's mortgage, a lot of times they wouldn't be able to make the numbers work. They wouldn't have sufficient income to be able to buy a home of their own. So we kind of fill in that gap and really fill a need in our community where you've got um, what some people used to call, I guess, working poor or uh, low-income families that, you know, they work hard every day. But at the end of the day, often they can't afford more than, say, a dilapidated mobile home. And so we kind of come in and figure out a way to make this something that is affordable to this group of folks that normally wouldn't be able to afford that. And the model is pretty typical throughout um, all of the United States and the world. That's kind of what Habitat does. Whitney, you want to fill in the, the gaps there or did I miss anything? Oh, um, I was going to say a part that I guess most people know is that the families do get to help build their homes and they also get to help build their neighbors' homes. And we have homeownership classes where we teach budgeting and financial skills and home maintenance. And we've even started teaching some strong towns type, uh, type knowledge right. in, in our classes about what to do when you can't afford your property taxes or what to do if your neighbor wants to build an accessory dwelling unit in the backyard and how to, do, how to understand why they might need to do that. So we realized that you know, we don't want to be training NIMBY homeowners right. because we make homeowners. Mm-hmm. That's so cool to hear about. Yeah, I should ask, how did you all come to hear about Strong Towns in the first place, if you can remember? And what made you decide to be you know, involved in this movement as members? This is the way I remember it, at least. Uh, when we came back from the Peace Corps, we really quickly had our first child and Whitney was at home for quite a while. And, uh, and then when Hannah, our, our oldest, was was younger, she was at home and Whitney started just doing a lot of reading uh, about housing as I started working at Habitat and then she did. And if I recall, I think she just started running into these uh, Strong Towns articles and we started reading them and thinking, wow, this actually makes a lot of sense. What we, I think, really liked about it is the traditional development concept, the idea of, you know, this is the way housing and, and communities used to be. This is the way that, that uh, things used to function. And that honestly, some of the, the ways that towns did function were, were really, for lack of a better word, strong. You know, they were resilient. And uh, so it was just something that I, I feel like we kind of fell into. Is that about right? Yeah, I think so. We just started reading a whole bunch of stuff. We even uh, recommended some of your articles to one of our interns. And he came back the next morning, kind of like with eyes bloodshot. And he's like, oh, we got to start making some changes. Oh, <laughs> wow. He was all, he was been an, up all night. Yeah, he, he, he'd been up all night reading all of your articles. Um, 
did the deep but dive. I've, That's great. Yeah. The, the Peace Corps experience has been really good because we're, we've been able to take what we've been reading about uh, from Strong Towns and we, I recognize that we've actually witnessed it before. So we were in the Republic of Georgia and now looking back, we can see the commercial enterprise attached to the home along, along the main street and just see the way that that city is designed is, is very much what's described with the traditional development. Right. And so that's been something of what we've started teaching, um, not just our homeowners, but also other Habitat affiliates to help explain how before all of this mortgage industry stuff started going on, you had more, I guess, rungs on the ladder of economic opportunity when it came to housing. And it's like locally, the bottom rungs have kind of been knocked out. And not necessarily because the local governments wanted to do it, but that's just the result of the system of all the different policies up and down the, from federal, state, and, and local. And so that I, we're hoping that having these kinds of conversations will help people to understand, oh, okay, so there's, there's more reasons to actually talk about the zoning than just, just for me or just for that person. It's actually really important for our entire community to understand what, what, what's going on here. That's wonderful to hear how you've like taken these strong towns ideas and really run with them and applied them in your own place and on the issues you're working on. Um, that's just amazing to hear. So let's talk about um, Texans for Housing, which I know, um, Charles, you're on the board and Whitney, maybe you're also involved in this group. What is this group and what are you guys advocating on right now? Yeah, so Texans for Housing is a fairly young organization. We officially came into being just last year in 2020. And yes, I'm on the board and Whitney is an instrumental part of it as well. Uh, she's hugely helpful with some of the technology aspects of it as well. Um, but it came out about a year ago, but it's something that a guy from Austin has kind of spearheaded, Dan Keshet. And uh, he's been a, a housing guy in Austin for, for quite a while. And um, the way this came about, our involvement in it, is that Whitney and I started asking the question a couple of years ago, you know, who is working on housing and particularly zoning related issues at the state level? Because as we were looking at the local level, the, the finger of, okay, who's to blame for all of these housing restrictions? kept going back to being pointed somewhat at the state level, at this enabling legislation. And uh, so we asked um, some folks in DC out of the Mercatus Center, hey, is anybody uh, working on, is there a housing group at the state level? And so we came across Dan and, and his idea of Texans for Housing. And that really is what we are. We are a very much state legislation focused uh, organization that advocates for loosening certain restrictions on particularly housing supply. So we go beyond just, it's not something that's just advocating for low-income housing or just advocating for, you know, high-end development. That's not, not what we're doing. We're looking at it more broadly as that there are things at the state level that are either being done now that need to be undone or possibly actions that could be taken that would loosen the restrictions on housing supply and particularly the interest in mixed use. That, that really ultimately is our goal and our focus is, is that we want to see a diverse group of housing models in a community. If you don't have that, as you well know, 
the community becomes very, very fragile. You don't want to have all these huge, nothing but high rise luxury apartments. And you at the same time don't want to have nothing but a never ending sprawl of suburbia where the only thing that can be built in that town are large, wealthy homes on large lots. You know, that's going to squeeze out everything else. Uh, we want to see diversity of, of uh, to a certain extent, you know, commercial and, and residential. You know, like in any state, Texas is no different where this is an evolutionary process. Making these kind of changes, changing people's thinking uh, takes time. You know, it, it takes a lot of education and uh, a lot of talking through, particularly the economic issues of, you know, what's going to happen if we only allow large suburban sprawl to happen? Uh, what's going to happen to Texas? So um, a couple of things that we've been working on in this legislative session, uh, the one that I've been most excited about and the reason that, that I got involved is um, there's a minimum lot size bill that we've been really trying to push through the legislature. It may take more than more than one session to, to get this through, but it is something that um, we feel strongly about because of our angle as working with Habitat. Not only us as a developer that we're willing to, to try and build on as modest of lots as possible, but even more importantly for the family who doesn't necessarily have a whole lot of, of cash, but maybe is able to acquire a lot that's 3,000 square feet instead of five, you know, we don't feel that there should be anything in place blocking that family from being able to build on that lot. And as it is right now in Texas, um, virtually all municipalities have a different minimum lot size rule. So we've been advocating at the state level to make that rule a little more straightforward and, and honestly more modest, a little bit smaller so that lower income people can afford to do that. Um, we also have a, a comprehensive zoning reform bill. It's still in committee right now at the House level, and we have a Senate bill as well. And what that's doing is just trying to firm up. It's kind of a complex bill, but at the end of the day, it, it's another one of these bills to make sure that housing can get built in as diverse of a way as possible. Um, and so we're excited about that. We're also working on um, parking minimums bill, as well as a number of other ones. So Texans for Housing doesn't see us as like a one legislative session and done. Uh, we see this as a multi-session effort and something where we're, we're not planning on stopping until we can uh, make Texas a place where everybody can afford a decent place to live. So that's a little bit yeah, about that. So much going on. That's fantastic. And I love to hear how you're like tackling, you know, all these different sides of things, the parking, the lot sizes, um, it all adds up to, to decide whether housing is accessible and permissible in your right. place or not. Mm-hmm. How do you approach this sort of advocacy in a state that is so big, so varied, you know, huge cities and then, you know, very rural areas and everything in between. Is it really just about making that economic argument for why we should allow more types of housing um, or, or how do you yeah, have those conversations with such different types of people and different types of leaders who are representing those people? So, um, yeah, as you alluded to, Texas is a, a huge state and it, and it has as diverse of political opinions, believe it or not, as that. Uh, we have blue cities, we've got red towns, we've got, you know, all across the spectrum. 
at the end of the day, we're learning this as we go along. Um, but really, you've got two groups. You've got the more urban areas that you have to speak to in a certain way. And then you have the more rural groups. And what we've found, especially with things like minimum lot size bill, we've actually found that taking the focus, you know, not going to these rural areas and saying, hey, let's bring density. You know, that doesn't make any sense to them. What does make sense is when you approach them and say, you know, you remember how this town used to be in terms of it was, it was a fairly compact town surrounded by farmland that was honestly very important to the livelihood of, of this community in this area of the state. Now, where is all that farmland gone? It has turned into paved cul-de-sacs and sprawling suburbia. Um, what we're advocating for really does impact the rural areas too, because it's, it's actually a dangerous thing for a state or a community to lose all of their agrarian areas. Um, because, I mean, what does that do to your local community if you can't source food locally? So we've been testing this out. Uh, and I've found that with some of the rural legislators, that does get them to think. Because, first of all, when you come to them and say, hey, we're trying to make these seemingly urbanist changes to these laws, it doesn't make a lot of sense. How does this matter to me? But when you start talking about how sprawl impacts their communities in that way, it, it does make them think, but it's something that we're still testing out. But I would say it's, it's a learning process as we go along. Whitney, do you want to speak at all to, um, to your involvement with Texans for Housing um, or other um, work that you've been doing on advocacy in Texas? I've helped a little bit with Texans for Housing, just if they want to help us set up their so social media, for example. Um, but some of the work I do at Habitat is with a lot of technology. So I run the website. And last year, we started a podcast. We're calling it Think Brazzes. Our tagline is Think Local, Think Brazzes. That's our county. Uh, yes. So we're, we're in Brazos County. Um, and so we have uh, so far interviewed some public policy experts some local candidates for office and local residents. And our whole reason for doing this is to try to have these conversations about housing, but about all the, the tangential issues that are related to housing that help explain why housing is not just a one-sided issue. It's not just a low-income issue. It's not just a, a progressive housing for all type issue. Uh, it really is important to the longevity of our community, uh, that we start talking about these issues now and figuring out why they're important and how we can solve these issues. Uh, and so we've been doing that through a podcast, through interviews with, with locals. And so that's what um, I've been doing a lot is learning how to podcast to get that, get that message out. Where can people go if they want to hear that podcast? Just like look for Think Brazos on uh, their podcast app of choice. Yes, actually, yes, you can search for Think Brazos. You can go to the Habitat website, habitatbcs.org slash thinkbrazos. Uh, but I think we're on most podcast players. So if you just type in the search Think Brazos, you'll find us. Okay, great. I'll include links for all that too in the show notes. Yeah. Perfect. To close us out here, I want to ask um, and hear from both of you, what advice would you have for others who care about housing issues in their state, um, in their town? How can people step up and start to 
make a change on these issues, whether they're working in a, in like a housing related profession or um, just a concerned resident. Charles, let's start with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say it really starts with, with you. I know that's cliche, but it really does. If I look back at our journey to really starting to look at and then advocate for housing in our own community, it really started with us having to get a real connection and honestly, a love for our own community. It started with that. So it was walking around these neighborhoods, not just working in habitat, but really observing where people are struggling. I know some of you have heard that phrase before, but it really does matter, not just for others around you, but for you yourself. Because if you don't start to care, really deeply care for who else lives in your community and and where their issues are, you really, I would say for a number of years when we first, when I first moved here, I really didn't observe where people were at. That wasn't really my focus. Uh, But it was once we started to really notice not just the the good in this community, but the pain, you know, that's when you begin to say, I've got to do something about this. This is my, my duty. And it makes you a better person, I think. And it, it hopefully will make this town and this state better as a result. I don't know if that answers your question, but <laughs> that's no, that's what... such an important starting place. Yeah. Just, just paying attention and seeing where people struggle. I love that. Well, thank you both so much for being on this conversation, part of this podcast. Um, and I hope people will check out your podcast as well. How can folks who might be listening in Texas uh, that want to get involved in um, Texans for Housing, what's the best way to do that? Whitney, you know our social media stuff, right? <laughs> we are, uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also check out the website, texansforhousing.org. Well, thank you both, Charles and Whitney, for um, having this conversation um, and also for your work that's spreading the Strong Towns approach and, and being supporting members of this movement. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you for everything you guys are doing. I don't know about you, but I was just blown away by that discussion and I'm in awe of Charles and Whitney's work. And we as Strong Towns are honored that they have made this commitment to supporting this movement as sustaining members and in their lives by sharing our message of financial resilience and bottom-up change. Please consider joining Charles and Whitney as a member yourself. Head to strongtowns.org membership to support the movement today. And then email me to let me know. I want to hear what's inspiring you, what you're doing to make your community a little stronger, what you're doing to make your neighborhood a little better. I know y'all are out there. Hit me up, rachel at strongtowns.org if you want to chat. Otherwise, thanks for listening, y'all. We'll be back next week with another episode. Take care.